slash PE, physical education. I had done well on the test related to health, but one of the requirements for the course is you have to uh, do some kind of physical activity and, and document it. Well, I had to have a surgical procedure and I needed to be exempt from that activity. The first day of class, the professor said, now if you need to um, be exempt from certain kinds of activities, I need a doctor's note. I had gone to him at the end of the semester. I had told him, but when my grade came out, he failed me. I went back to him with a, a self-righteous indignation. Why did you do this? You have given me an F. I've done well <coughs> on my academic side in the testing of this course, and, and you're jeopardizing any funding that's possible for me. If my <coughs> falls too low, surely I, I did not fail. And he said, Tim, if you'll read the syllabus, he said I needed a doctor's note. You failed to turn that in. I'm not changing the grade. There's something to be learned here. Oh, I was angry. And I was disappointed. But I discovered he was right. Let us pray. God, make us teachable. Allow us to be moistened clay. And we invite you to be the potter. Use even resistance on the potter's wheel to make us into your image. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable unto you. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, Anthony and John and myself, we, we have found a good response to this sermon series entitled Five Lives. And you'll remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at the lie, confronting it with truth, but the lie was, I'm the only one struggling. And we decided that's not the case. That we have Christ coming alongside of us and along with brothers and sisters in Christ who support us. And then last week, I can't change. And the truth that confronted the lie, in some ways, we can't by ourselves. But in Christ, transformation can come through the power of the Holy Spirit. Changing us will then change is able to take place. Well, today we look at the lie, number three for us, as we're preaching this message in all three services, and it's this. I am a failure. I am a failure. Who can be described as a failure? Well, let's clear the air. No one of us is exempt from human failings. In fact, the scripture even says well, it speaks about our failing nature. Isaiah helps us. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. 
and Romans 3.23, all have missed the mark. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, today, the recognition for us is that we have all failed in who we are from time to time. So there are categories of failure. And some of you have walked into this special place with that as a reality. A good number of us have experienced a failed marriage <coughs> and a disappointment in that. Or maybe you've had a wayward child and, and, and you've wondered, have I failed at parenting? Or financially you have felt uh, that some decisions you've made have put you in a situation where you've been over leveraged, you're upside down, maybe you've lost your job. Some of these things are no fault of your own, but it has brought some failure to your life. Uh, you've made some decisions that have affected you and others, and, and so financially, you feel like a failure. Or maybe there's a younger person in here that feels as though they haven't kept up. You should have had that diploma by now. You've not gotten that degree yet. Or the single person who says, what's wrong with me? I should be married by now. We label and have been labeled in our failures. What can be described as our greatest failure? Well, for each of us, the answer would be something different unique to our own experience. And whatever that failure is, it's interesting how we place blame. Sometimes we cast blame at others. It's easy to point that way. And then there are times that we blame ourselves. And blaming others and ourselves, in some cases, can be warranted, depending on the circumstances, but in other cases, it may be no fault of our own, but we've attached failure to our lives. And, and we've said it's warranted to describe ourselves as a failure. And it's interesting in the casting of blame, two entities that get too much blame, they get undeserved blame. And, and one is we point our finger at God. God, why have you failed me? We're unable to see the whole picture. And, and so in a impulsive response we become angry with God in our failure or in the failures of those around us and then another one that gets too much blame is the devil help me Flip Wilson the devil made me do it and so we want to kind of shirk our responsibilities and and put it off and while the devil is very much alive in the lies of our culture Sometimes he becomes a depository for our blame. So as we look at our lives, one of the questions I want us to ask today is, what is the criteria? How is it that we're selecting the criteria for evaluating whether we're a failure or a success? In our dominant culture, uh, it has its own criteria. I, I call it the three Ps. If you've been successful in acquiring power or maybe some kind of prestige or the number of possessions that you have, 
And what happens is we begin to, to use all of that as a backdrop, as a comparison. And we begin to define our success or our failure on a distorted view of success and failure. Some of you know people in your life that maybe they've climbed the ladder of success, as the adage says, but then at the end of life, they've discovered that the ladder has been leaned against the wrong wall. I find it interesting. Kind of like the fella or the woman on her deathbed, a successful person, families gathered around. I doubt they would say, I wished I had spent, when it comes to regrets, I wished I had spent more time at the office. And so... It's important for us not to be duped into a, a misunderstanding or a misdirection in terms of criteria for whether or not we're successful. And so we, we, we've, we've raised this question of success and failure, and we've raised questions about it. We've, we've asked the question, who it is to blame for the failure? And we've looked at who's made the evaluations. But, you know, I really believe that there might be some more important questions Questions like, if I'm someone who has failed at something, does that make me a failure? I would suggest to you, no. How can I learn from my failings may be a bigger question for us today. But I think the biggest one of all is, where from here? Where from here? So I invite you to follow along in your message notes. You'll find them inserted this week in your bulletin as we take a look at the truth that confronts this lie, and this lie is I am a failure. And the wonderful thing, as I said earlier in the message, is we're not alone. Not one of us is exempt from mistakes and coming up short and failures. And we even find that documented in the scripture. As we find Eve, who was duped and deceived by a serpent and failed, along with Adam that affected all of humankind. And David, he succumbed, he gave in to temptation, the act of adultery. And Judas failed in his understanding of what the Messiah really ought to be. And that failure brought a disillusionment to where he took his own life. But today I'd like for our focused person to be Peter. And you know Peter, he was well-loved. He was a beloved disciple. Jesus saw something special in him. In fact, he called him Cephas, the rock. Peter, upon you I will build my church. What an affirmation from one that was a simple fisherman to now one who would become the head of the body of Christ, the church. And he was a faithful follower of Christ. He was a disciple. He was a passionate leader. I love Peter. He was known as the rock, affectionately. But we know that he was a man of mistakes during that course of the meal, that upper room setting he heard his comrades talking, and Jesus was challenging, saying, even though there are some that will stand with me, many will desert me. 
Peter said, even though, even if I must die, I will not deny you. And we know the story in different settings. He was identified as one that was associated with Jesus. And J.C. helped us in the reading today in a fireside conversation. His accent gave him away. And a woman said, you, yes, you, you're one who's associated with Jesus. You're one of his followers. And he said, no, I am not. And then he heard the crow of the rooster. After three times, he fulfilled the prophecy in triple okay, that Jesus had predicted. And it said, he went outside and wept bitterly. I believe that was a crucible moment for him because he realized he had failed. My father-in-law, who was a United Methodist pastor and Air Force chaplain, Delia's father, uh, used to say, Tim, I'm not worried about getting to heaven. I've got the salvation and assurance of the work of Jesus Christ, but I've also got another plan to get through those pearly gates. I said, what was it? What is it, Jack? He said, if Peter is there and he gets to scrutinizing me and he begins to question me in my life, I'm just going to crow like a rooster. <laughs> <laughs> and so he is a man that has failed. He's a man of mistakes. And his story is our story. But in a wonderful way, in the post-resurrection moment, the third time that Jesus reveals himself on a beach, having breakfast with the disciples, he asks Peter, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Lord, you know I do. He asked him three times. Isn't that interesting? Three times he asked him, do you love me? And on that third time, in frustration, he said, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And so it's as if this man of mistakes, this man who, who failed, is now a man that is restored. That's the message for us followers of Christ today. And no matter what we've done, no matter how we've acted, no matter what we've said, we may have to live with the circumstances, some of the fallout in this natural world regarding that, but in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be restored by grace and mercy. Because we've all heard the roosters crow. Someone said, there's no failure so great that a Christian cannot rise from it. John Thompson, he was the football, excuse me, basketball coach for Georgetown University. And you may remember a championship game years ago when Michael Jordan was playing uh, for the Tar Heels, North Carolina. It was the championship game, and one of the guards, it was a tie ball game, and one of the guards for Georgetown accidentally in a mental glitch, threw the ball with seconds left 
to the opposing guard, that North Carolina guard dribbled down the court, put in the winning basket. The Georgetown guard was devastated, absolutely crushed. And they were interviewing John Thompson after that game, and they said, what do you say to a fellow that threw away the championship? Now, that question was couched inappropriately, but it was the feelings of all of us who had watched. And I love what John Thompson said. He said, I am focused on far more passes where he has won games for me and where he will win games for me in the future. And so it is the collection of all of that that I look to. I look to all of his work as a court general. I thought those were good words. And, and I really think that fits with our Christian theology. That Christ looks over the continuum of our lives, not just one failure. In your message notes, I invite you to take a look with me at this focus fallacy in terms of the redemptive way that God can help us overcome a sense of failure. And one is uncovering the message in the mess. There are some of us today who can reconstruct a mess that we created. Kind of like me with that professor. And he said, there's something to learn. And so the question for us is, what is it that we can learn? You know, a wise person makes mistakes. That what separates them from the fool is they take their mistakes, they glean from them, they allow God to redeem them, and they become stronger in character and in performance. And so where, what is the message in the mess? Well, maybe you heard the story of the New Coke years ago. Do you remember when New Coke came out? And uh, the new Coke came out as a, as a, a new beverage that Coca-Cola had, had produced. And what, what happened? It failed. And, and so the leaders didn't quite know how to deal with it. It was a $1 billion mistake. And, and the chemist and the promoter both, uh, they were, this one person was fired. And, and so they... They remarketed Coke Classic, and all of us were happy, and, and we continued to patronize Coca-Cola. But in a strange way, they rehired this chemist. And somebody asked the CEO at the time, why would you do that? I mean, it cost you. The company lost a billion dollars. And they said, we've interviewed him again. And we feel like he can bring great things from what he learned from a billion-dollar mistake. And so we've had him come back on the team. The father was talking to his two sons. They had skied. The father was one who had been teaching them for years. And at the end of a great day of skiing, he said to the boys, Did you fall today? And they thought, after a great day of skiing, why would you ask us if we took a tumble, if we fell in the snow? And, and 
so they questioned him. And he said, did you fall? And they said, well, why are you asking that? Dad, we've had a great day. Uh, no, we didn't fall. He said, well, then you didn't learn anything. I want to teach you. It means that you didn't explore. You didn't try new things. You didn't get outside your comfort zone. I guess he was speaking to that, that adage about it's better to attempt something and fail than to do nothing at all and succeed at it. I think there's a message for us as a church to take risk, to walk in faith, to try new things, to minister in new ways. And so there is a message in the mess. And God uses that imagery from Isaiah about how the potter remakes the clay. Look with me in your message notes. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. There was failure. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. In a wonderful way, the good news, the truth that confronts the lie, is this. Success in the eyes of God is really faithful. And if we are faithful, God can even take our mess and we can find the message in it. And he can reshape us and make it a teachable moment. And then part of understanding what success is in the eyes of God means that we discover the future beyond the failure. There is a promise for us. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 in your message note says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope, get this, and a future. Some of us have entered this place and we feel like because of my failure, there is no future. And what I'm saying to you is the chapters of your life have not been completely written. And God is able to craft a plot that will unfold in such a way that even our failures can be a beautiful thing if we learn from them, if we glean from them. Failure does not have to be the final chapter. But faithfulness is what's important. Through the thick and the thin, the good and the bad, it's important that we seek God's will. And you know, even as a pastor, I have to share with you, there are times where, based on my personality and, and how I'm wired, I feel an enormous amount of, let's say, responsibility. <laughs> because I want the church to be successful. And some of that is healthy. But I have to have a balanced understanding of what success is and who really brings it. And so the message for me today as your pastor is that God is calling me 
to be faithful. And he'll work through success. He'll bring the success according to his will. It may not look like what I think it's going to look like, but I have to trust in him. And so when I do my part, there are some key questions that I need to ask. Did I seek to do the Lord's will? Did I give it my best? And in my effort, was I the most like Christ I could be? If I can answer those as yes, I then can begin to allow God to bring the success and the fruit and the results as he desires. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That in partnership with God, I don't necessarily have to worry about failing if I'm walking in the current of his Holy Spirit. Well, I want to share with you, at the end of my freshman year, I went back and did my second quarter, my third quarter, and made Dean's List. Now, there's a couple of reasons why. One is, I wanted to show that sorry joker <laughs> that I could do it. And I say that as a term of endearment. <laughs> because so much so, I went back to him at the end of my freshman year, and I thanked him. And I said, you're right. There was something I needed to learn. God has a way of playing tricks on us when we think failure is the final chapter. He writes another one that's even better. It may be that today you want to celebrate God's faithfulness in your life. We invite you to respond, and this altar is open as Ellen leads us in our